Welcome to Pursue Ministries. You're listening to Men's Fraternity, Session 9, Genesis and Manhood. The speaker is Bill Howard. I will say this about the Bible, if you've never read the Bible much. Uh, the first 12 chapters of the Bible are foundational to everything else. If you can understand the first 12 chapters of the Bible, you'll understand about marriage, manhood, womanhood, uh, sin, uh, parenting, mar- uh, I think I said marriage, the nations, why there are different colors of skin, why people speak in different languages, uh, why there are conflict with nations, why Israel, why that little piece of property over there in the middle of the world is so controversial, even to this very day. And uh, it all comes out of the first 12 chapters of Genesis. It's fascinating, guys. And so I'd encourage you, even uh, if you want to do your own study, uh, you might want to dive into the first 12 chapters of Genesis and really try to wrap your arms around that so you can understand it because it'll make, it'll help everything. By the way, everything in the Bible rests off of it. It's, It's the foundation of the biblical building that's created throughout all history. I mean, it's absolutely critical, okay? So that's where we're going to go. We're going to start in Genesis, and in Genesis, we call it the Genesis myth this morning. And you might be here, and that might be a little offensive to you to think that Genesis is a myth. Well, let me define myth, okay, what it is from Webster's Dictionary. Uh, Point A, myth is not synonymous with fiction. We tend to think it is. But it is not. Uh, It could be fictitious, but it's not necessarily. So here's what Webster defines myth as. uh, Myth is any real or fictitious story by which we govern reality. So it's any real or fictitious story by which we can govern reality. So, for example, uh, you might say in the... uh, United States, we have George Washington. And George Washington was sort of the epitome of a man marked by the pursuit of freedom and democracy. And so George Washington is mythological to our country. Uh, He is really a guy who was a real person who now we kind of govern a lot of our democracy by the fact of what that man did and what that man created. Or Abraham Lincoln, we might say if a a guy comes along that's a politician, he's he's like a Lincoln president. Of course, we haven't had those lately, but that's what we would say, right? Or maybe uh, maybe you're watching a high school football game and somebody goes, man, that guy's, he's a Bear Bryant man. Or he coaches like Bear Bryant. Well, Bear Bryant sort of epitomized football and as a football coach. You see what I'm saying? So what these mythological characters do is they create a sense of the embodiment of what it means to uh, be whatever that is that they're embodying. Now, in the Bible, uh, point B here, a real myth, a real myth, not fictitious, explains and measures our reality. 
And so the myth of Genesis is a real story about two real people. And in this, hey Glenn, uh, Genesis explains and measures manhood in its original and ongoing fallenness. I remember when I was um, working on my house years ago and I found a thing called a contour gauge. And a contour gauge is a gauge that has little pins in it. And what you can do to measure, let's say, crown molding and the way the crown molding is shaped so you can take that shape and identify that shape, you would press this contour gauge against the molding and it would create an outline. And you would lay that down and you could outline your molding. And again, that's what Genesis is. It's like a contour gauge for life. It's for the understanding of who we are as men and women in marriage and who we are in relationship to our God. Okay? So let's take a look and see what this Genesis myth has to say about manhood. Point A, Genesis 1 uh, speaks of male and female calling. You guys, if you've got your Bibles, you might want to open it to Genesis chapter 1. And uh, we'll kind of uh, plow our way through here a bit. And in Genesis chapter 1, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. By the way, the way Genesis is laid out is uh, people have always had controversy over this because here's the thing. Genesis is not chronological in the first couple of chapters. See? The myth of Genesis explains and measures manhood in its original ideal and ongoing fallenness. Don't get it? All right. Um, here's the way Genesis is laid out, guys. Chapter 1, it, think of it this way, if you have a camera. Chapter 1 is a panoramic view. It's a big picture view. Chapter 2 is a zoom in. Okay, you're zooming in chapter 2. Chapter 3 is the portrait. It's a close-up. Okay? That's the way to think of Genesis. Because what you have is, in one, just this overarching, here's what God did. <clears throat> Chapter 2, let's focus on what he did, uh, particularly on one of those days. And then the Chapter 3 is a very up-close personal on what the man and woman did after God created some of the very first dialogues they had, okay? So in chapter 2, verse 7, sort of zooming in on the one part of God's creation, which was, out of all the things God created on the earth, we, as people, are the only thing created in the image of God. That's why birds and giraffes aren't joining us in here this morning. It's why we're in here, because we're made in the image of God. And in that, uh, here's what I want you to see. When God on the sixth day formed man, I want you to notice that point one here, Adam was created first. Okay? It said, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and, and man, the man, a 
man, a masculine soul, became a living creature. Now, this is what I want you to notice. The woman is not made yet. And in fact, God gives the man some instruction, even after his creation, without the woman being there. One of the things you're going to notice here is one of the things he instructs him to do is he said, listen, everything in the world is yours. There's only one thing I don't want you to do, and that's eat from that tree. And he instructs him to that. And then he said, I want you to, all this world that I've given you, especially right here in the Garden of Eden, I want you to cultivate. It's yours. It's your garden. It's your fields of harvest. So enjoy. And so he had some work. He was working. This is before the fall of man. And so now, why do we acknowledge this? Because first means something in the Bible. Did you guys know that? Uh, for example, there is a preeminence suggested here uh, with regard to, um, and by the way, did I mention the male and female value in calling? I don't think I did, did I? Uh, what you find, guys, in the picture is that God, when he created man, he created man in stereo. So in other words, when God said, let us, now you got to think about this, guys. I know it's early. God, singular, said, let us, plural. God in three, right there from the very beginning of time. If you, if you don't think God is not a plural God, a triune God, he suggested at the very first part of the Bible. So God said, let us make man, singular, God, singular, us, plural, make man, singular, in our, plural, image. Male and female, plural. He made man. That's the, that's the phrase. So what does that mean? It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Here's what it means. It means that a man is not fully represent, a, a fully reflection of God or a full reflection of God without the woman. See, guys, this is why marriage is so huge. Because marriage reflects between a man and a woman who come together and they become one, they reflect the image of God. I bet you never understood your marriage to be that significant, did you? But that's, what, that's why marriage, by the way, that's why the Bible starts with a marriage and ends with a marriage. It starts with marriage when a man and a woman and ends with a marriage between a husband and a wife. Marriage is huge to God, huge. And so when you enter into it, you're entering into a union whereby which if God blesses you, you have children with that woman. By the way, Adam and Steve can't have kids. There would have been no you and me if it was an Adam and Steve deal from creation. It's Adam and Eve, right? Man and woman who are by the very design created by God for companionship, for parenting, 
and for managing. That's it. That's what Genesis teaches. As a couple. So it's pretty cool, isn't it? So in other words, guys, it's why you as a man... How many are here married, by the way? How many are not married? Do you want to get married? Probably, right? And it's, you're designed for it, by the way. If you undress and look in the mirror, you realize that your body was made for a woman. Did you know that? And that stuff, that, that junk in your drawer, that ain't for you. That's for her. And that stuff underneath whatever she covers up with, that's for you. It's why it fires you up. It's why. It's what you're created for. Isn't that cool? God did that. And so in this, guys, there's all kinds of stuff. We don't have time to unpack. It's really cool. But in it, what you fall out is that you have two human beings that are uniquely different in their gender, man, woman, and yet together they become one. And in that oneness, they reflect God, who is one God in three persons. And see, the reason why there's not a third human being there is because God has reserved himself to be the third part of a marriage union. Does that make sense? You can kind of think about it. It's pretty cool. That's why if you're married and you've got a relationship with your wife and if God's not part of it, I'm telling you, you're probably struggling a bit. Because basically what a good marriage is is two imperfect people clinging to a perfect God. That's what makes a good marriage. Okay? All right, let's go back into the Genesis distinctives. Uh, back into 2.7 on Adam is created first. Now, why do we say first? Are you guys with me so far? Everything okay? Okay. All right. Adam was created first. So what does this mean? Well, it means a preeminence. It means something, and it always has been in the Bible, something very important. And the preeminence is the idea of leadership or something that God is interested in. For example, the firstborn child is the one that receives uh, the inheritance of his father. Uh, there was the first command uh, when God, when Jesus, what's the most, the first is, um, there is, uh, the Bible says the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Uh, when you have a, an offering to make before God in the Old Testament, you offer the first of your offspring, whatever it is, a calf, bull, goat, whatever. Uh, you give the first fruits of your labor if you're a farmer. In other words, the first death that comes in goes to God. You worship on the first day of the week. But here's the deal. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2 in the New Testament. So go to 1 Timothy 2. And uh, there's a bunch of T's all together there. There's Thessalonians 1 and 2 and then 1 Timothy 1 and 2. And then Titus. All the T's are together there. Okay. And 1 Timothy chapter 2. <clears throat> you got it? And I want you to go to 
verse 12 and 13. And what's happening is, is that God is giving some instruction because Timothy is going to minister in Ephesus. So Timothy is a protege. Paul is his mentor. And Paul's actually in prison when he's writing this letter to Timothy. So he's not in the game. He's actually locked up. And he writes this letter back to Timothy because he's telling Timothy, hey, listen, I want you to go to this city that I visited named called Ephesus, and I want you to sort of shepherd the people there, and let me give you some things to think and do. Because in Ephesus, which was part of the Roman Empire, the average woman had four abortions in her lifetime. Uh, women were very predominant uh, because men became very addicted to themselves in the Roman Empire. They became very involved in a lot of immoral behavior and became very passive. Women became very forthright, especially in the career movement of life. Sound familiar? Much like America. So, what Paul does when he goes in there and people start transferring their trust to Jesus Christ out of this worldly <coughs> thought... Paul's saying to Timothy, here's what I want you to tell men and women on how to now be restored back to God's original design. Back to the mythological work of Genesis. Back to who God created them to be. Are you with me? And so in verse 9, he gives some instruction to men. If you look at verse 9, he said... I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing. Uh, verse 8, he said, I want the men to pray, women to adorn themselves in a particular way. Now look at verse 11. And I want a woman, I let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. Anybody have a problem with that today? Yeah, that one's a hard one, isn't it? But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Hello. I mean, those are fighting words, aren't they? Now, he's talking about Christians in relationship to the church. Now, here's why. Now, I'm not going to argue this point. I want to tell you, it's, their culture was very similar to ours because women... Uh, were very much in control there as sometimes they are here. And what happens to men is men go, <laughs> man, I hear that, but you do not know what I'm married to. You know, I may be the head of my family, but she's the neck that turns my head. You see what I'm saying? So, now all I want you to see, guys, is why does Paul... Say this. Next verse. For, and every time you see a for or a therefore, it's a summary statement to what he just previously said. So, why does he say this? Because it was Adam who was first created, then Eve. Whoa. You see the process? You see, the first means something to God. 
And it means leadership. It means accountability. It means responsibility. It means it's the guy's job in a marriage to lead. That's all it means. Which therefore, if the woman, the reason why he's telling the women here in this culture, because listen, the women are out of control. They're large and in charge. And the men are sitting on the sideline, on the bench, passive. And he's basically saying, women, listen, you need to, you're, you're reversing the original order of God's design on how you are to reflect the image of God. You're messing it up. Just like today, guys, this is why our culture is going to hell in a handbasket. Because if you want to destroy a culture like ours, we're a powerful military might. It's not going to be because somebody's going to come and beat us up. If you want to destroy a culture like ours, you know how you're going to destroy it? Just like, by the way, the Roman Empire was destroyed, the Babylonian Empire was destroyed. You know how? Not from armies without but from the social corruption from within, they literally became wimps. They fell apart. They became melted butter. They became soft. They lost who they were as people by the destruction of the family. That's why Abraham Lincoln said, the strength of a nation lies in the homes of its people. If you want to destroy a great nation, destroy the families. And that's exactly what's happening today. Because men, we've lost it. So that's, you see, you, you guys get this? So he's basically saying, guys, come on. Ladies, listen, let your husbands get back into the game. Why? Because it's the way you will reflect to your children who God is. So work together. You're equal, ladies, with your husband. Equal in value, but you're different in function. Let him function. Men, get up and start functioning. <laughs> Lead. Are you with me? Okay. All right. I'm going to kind of play this out. I'm going to try to hold my comments because I get excited about it because I want you all to get it. <laughs> But I'm going to, because I want y'all to spend some time talking about this, okay? Point two. Adam is given an occupation with responsibility before Eve. So secondly, these distinctives. Adam is given an occupation with responsibility before Eve. We don't know how much time passed. All we know is that God told Adam, hey, manage these animals in the garden. Eve is nowhere yet to be found. She's not created and so we find here is that there is a primary, primary <coughs> responsibility put upon the man to care for the woman and provide for her. By the way, guys, that never leaves a man to be a provisionary leader. If you fast forward to the New Testament, Paul tells Timothy, hey, listen, tell the men that if they're not providing for their own household, they are worse than a guy who doesn't believe in Christ at all. So the, the provisionary aspect of a guy's life is to care for and provide for his family, okay? And by the way, it, it just says that the man's to work. By the way, that's why the guy's cursed 
after the fall in his work. Because remember, there's two ways a guy gets his identity. What were they? Work in woman. His wife. Woman for you, Glenn. Right? Wife. Woman. Work. It's where guys find out who they are. And God cursed a man in both of them. It's interesting, isn't it? Because of what we did in rejecting our responsibility. Point three. Let's go on with the identification of the masculine soul in the created order. Adam is instructed by God with the responsibility of leading with his word. Well, how do we know that? Well, because if you look and go back to Genesis, guys, if you look in the Genesis account, uh, notice here, God said in verse 16 of Genesis 2, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. So the, the commandment... The choice of what God gave the man to do was given to the man and the woman wasn't even around yet. Nowhere in the Bible does it ever say God spoke this to the woman. And so, in other words, man was given the word to be a spiritual leader. It's always interesting, guys, if I had your wives in here and I asked this question and I speak to women on occasion, and I'll ask this question. Ladies, I'll just say, out of curiosity, how many of you in this room would like your husband to be a spiritual leader? Boom! Hands go up immediately. Which means I wish my husband absorbed the word of God in his life. I wish my husband was involved with other Christian men that were noble. I wish my husband would pray with us and pray with me. I wish my husband would lead us to Christ. I wish that's what my husband would do. That's what I wish. I'm telling you guys, there's not a woman in this room who doesn't wish that's what their husband would do. Because they're designed to follow that kind of leadership, which is what God placed on the man. See that? To lead spiritually. So, uh, point four. Adam then, again, this distinctive, Adam named the animals a signal of his leadership over creation. And so, again, Eve is not around. Now, God said, don't do this. And by the way, it's not good for you to be alone. And then all of a sudden, he gives him a job description. Because in the job description is man is now going to do what God's asked to do, which is to name the animals, which, by the way, is a sign of leadership. Because all the animals, guys, no matter what the animal activists tell you, animals are not over people. They are not more important than people. In fact, animals are made for people. In fact, in Genesis 9, after the flood, God said we can eat them. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where an animal can eat a human being by permission of God. Now, he may if that guy's in a place he ought not to be. 
But all I'm telling you is that God created animals and things for us to manage. And showing leadership, and by the way, this is why when man enters the garden, the animals are afraid, even to this day. When you walk around, what do animals generally do? God, aren't you glad God did that? Because I'm telling you, there are a lot of things out there that could eat your lunch if, if they wanted to. But anyway, here's the point. The point is, is that this naming signals leadership over creation. And so in the same way, when God gave the man that responsibility to name animals, he also gave the man the responsibility to name his wife. That's why later on he said, she shall be called woman. See, he names, names, names. Nothing there I can take to the garden prom, God. Ah, put you to sleep. Passion's a woman. And then he said, I will name her woman because she comes out of man. Pretty cool, right? You see the leadership, though? You see that? Leadership. By the way, in a Christian marriage, it's why your wife takes on your name. You see, Abraham was named by God. Abram to Abraham. Abraham names his wife from Sarai to Sarah. Paul, signaling uh, his submission to Jesus Christ, was renamed by Christ from Simon to Peter. You see, the naming is signaling leadership. And in a Christian marriage, it's why a couple walk down the aisle. And then after the pastor does this, and I've done this numerous times, I'll say, I now present to you Mr. and Mrs. Bill Howard. Signaling the guy, the woman is renamed and takes on the last name of the husband. Did you know that's why that happens? Did you guys know that? comes right out of this book right here, right out of Genesis. Because it's signaling to everybody, I am now responsible for this woman and she has come under me and I'm to care, provide and protect her from this day forward. She's now my wife. She's now Mrs. Bill Howard. That's pretty cool, isn't it? But it comes out of this account signaling our leadership to care for our wife. Point five, Adam is given a helper suitable for him. A phrase that defines the core social identity for both the man and the woman. And this... Uh, idea of helper, guys, by the way, it, the word literally means to fit. So when God said it's not good for the man to be alone, I'm going to get somebody to fit him. And that's why, again, if you disrobe a man and a woman, you'll see that a man fits the woman. And the woman fits the man. And when they fit together, guess what happens? Children. It's pretty cool. I'm so glad God did that, aren't you? I mean, I've always jokingly said, you know, God could have designed uh, reproduction in a different way. I mean, he could have made us like the bees or the flowers. Or maybe you bump into each other and all of a sudden a little pollen falls on your head and, and your wife goes, ah, oh, I'm pregnant again. Because <laughs> I bumped into a guy today. But, you know, he didn't do that. She, he made it specifically for a man who takes that woman, the two become one. 
and designed in a physiological sense for reproduction. Pretty cool, right? And so in this, this woman fits the man. So this stereo has a company mission attached to it because the idea here is when this woman fits the man, she's created not to compete with him, but to complete him. Unfortunately, a lot of marriages today, women are taught by the world to compete with their husbands in the job market, in the world place, rather than complete him. Okay? And so there's two employees, there's two tasks that you have. Now, by the way, your wife, if you're married, you've recognized she has a reminder about every 30 days of her transcendent cause, doesn't she? And she goes through a cycle because she's got something inside of her that you and I don't have, and that is the ability to literally carry life. It is phenomenal. I remember when I got married, I just thought I'm marrying a sexual partner. I'm marrying a companion, my best friend. But someone, you know, I can't enjoy on a golf course what I can enjoy with my wife. With, I can't enjoy that with a guy as I can with my wife, right? That's why your wife's so cool to you. Because she's your best friend and your lover. But I never realized that I also married a mother. I mean, guys, if you're not married, guys, listen. When you get married, that woman that's going to say yes to you also, you're marrying a mom. Because as soon as you get married, there's something clicks off inside of that woman because of what she's reminded of, but every 30 days, that I'm here for reproduction. I'm here on the planet to nurture, to bring forth life. And if you've got a wife that has never been pregnant, I'll guarantee you it's a, it's a difficult pain in your marriage. Right? Because it's what she's designed to do. And her identity in there, guys, is pretty clear. It's why women are more emotionally healthy than men. Because, see, we don't have any such reminder every 30 months of why I'm on the planet. I mean, I'm, I'm stronger than she is. I may be more powerful than she is, but why am I here? You see, as leaders, this is why you find that it's very important for a man to listen to God so he can be instructed. See, a woman has a more natural inclination just by her own design. So a man needs to be instructed by God so he knows what to do in this relationship. That's why he's called the spiritual leader. And in Ephesians chapter 5, it's why it says, A husband, love your wives like Christ loves you, that you might present her. Husbands, that you might present her, your wife, holy and blameless. How? By the washing of water with the word. In other words, it's sort of like as water flows over a rock in a stream. Have you ever felt a, a rock in, in the stream? Is that rock coarse and uh, rough or is it smooth? Smooth. So the idea is, guys, is when the word of God comes into your life, it starts flowing out of you. 
you smooth out a rough woman. Make sense? You clean her up by loving her well, just like Jesus does you. That's how you do it. Okay, point six. Adam names his helper. Adam names his helper. Again, a signal of leadership. Um, you guys ever remember Jim Morrison? Glenn? The Doors? Um, you got to sing it with me, Glenn. Hello? Hello what? Hello, I love you. Hello. There you go. Hello, I love you. Won't you tell me your name? Remember that song? You guys remember that song? Huh? Yeah. Oh, it's, I'm right on key, man. Here's the deal. Uh, Jim Morrison, by the way, if you knew Jim Morrison, I guarantee you he didn't love those women. It, it, it really was, if you could redefine the song, it'd be, hello, I lust after you. By the way, what's your name again? <laughs> right? But see, if anybody could have sung the song and meant it, it was Adam. Hello, I've never met you, but God created you. Wow, woman, because you're taken out of me. Hello, I love you, not because I know anything about you, but because I know God loves me and he gave you to me. I love you because he loves me. And by the way, let me give you my name. That's kind of, if anybody could have sung it, it was Adam. That's about it, right? And so, point seven, it is the man who is to leave and initiate a new household. It's the guy who is to leave. In other words, guys, look at Genesis 2.24. It's a summary statement. You see that four again? Remember I told you? It's a summary statement. It's, okay, let me give you the big picture. Out of everything I just said, let me tell you the bottom line. Four, why did God do the man-woman thing? For this cause, a man. Now notice the article. The article's in front of the masculine part of the created stereo union. Between the man and the woman, it's the man's job to leave his mom and dad. See that? It's his job to initiate departure. So that he can then take a woman and say, okay, listen, I'm following God on a mission. And I'm inviting you to be my mate, to join my master on a mission. And we're going, we, as my mate, we are going to define this mission the master gave us to do. And by the way, it may be really different than my parents. But it doesn't matter what my parents want me to do because I've left them and now I've got a new company formation, a new mission statement. Guys, all I can tell you is 95% of all the problems that my wife and I discover, and uh, we speak around the country at a place called The Weekend to Remember. It's a ministry called Family Life. We've done it for almost 20 years now to thousands of people, and here's the deal. All I can tell you from my experience is this principle is the most violated principle in all of Scripture. Because uh, oftentimes a man never comes out 
alone. And all I can tell you for a guy is when a guy is, he's got his back against the wall and, and it all falls on him, that's where a man's character comes out. It's where he decides what he's going to do and be. And it's a fun place to be. It's scary. It's a fun place to be. But that's why not only do men need to leave their mom and dad, but parents need to let them go. Get out of here. Right? And boy, today, I don't know if you know what's happening today. These boys are going to college and then they come back home. They're coming back home. It's crazy. Now, I know Kevin, you came back home, but he came back home to care for some ailing parents that his mother has dementia and helping his dad. That's a noble cause. A lot of guys come home just because they're saying, Mom, Dad, care for me. <laughs> right? Provide for me. All right. Okay, let's move on. It is the man is to leave initiate point eight. Okay, now we're going to get into sort of the up close and personal in chapter three. Uh, it is the temptation, if you notice here, is going to seek to reverse God's original and social and spiritual order. Guys, look at the Bible here. Chapter three, verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, now let me ask you, men, the man is created first. He's been given the word of God and a woman to care for and to lead and protect and provide. Isn't it interesting that he doesn't talk to the man first? Let me tell you, it's strategic that he's talking to the woman. And so this reversal is there's two things going on here, I believe, that the enemy of God already understands about man and woman. He understands that intuitively a woman naturally desires control. He also intuitively knows that that man, Adam, naturally is passive. So here's the catch-22 of the temptation from the serpent's point of view. If I can get the woman to believe me, then I can create a choice and put the husband, the leader of the relationship, who's accountable to God, in a bind. Because the catch-22 is if the woman believes me, then that guy has a choice. Okay, who do I obey? My wife or my creator? Are you with me? It's a perfect setup. Are you saying that the fall happened when Adam ate, not when Eve ate? Yeah, you'll see here in a minute. Yeah. All I want you to see right now is that there's a reversal in the temptation. In other words, there's a reason why the serpent went to the woman and not to the man. Because he knows that there's an, the serpent knows there's an order to creation. He knows who is responsible. You see that? That's all I want you to see. Now, by the way, let's go on here. Notice, he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree. Now, notice here's the craftiness of the sentence. What did God say? You can eat from any tree. In other words, God, I always sort of jokingly say, God is a liberal conservative. Everything is available to you except one thing. That's it. What the serpent said is nothing is available to you. Nothing. 
God's a party buster. By the way, that's how people, a lot of people believe about God today. God hates them, mad at them, doesn't want you to have any fun. That's not true. But in this temptation, all of a sudden, now notice the woman, by the way, remember, has not, we don't see anywhere where God spoke to the woman about what not to do or do. So we're left to assume from, we call it the argument of silence, from theology, from the argument of the silence that she wasn't given the command from the scripture, we are left to assume it was the man's job to communicate to his wife when she was created by God and came into the picture, Adam probably said, hey, honey, listen, just like almost a parent would do a child. Hey, listen, everything, it's amazing what our Father has created for us. Everything is available to us. By the way, this one tree, this knowledge of good and evil, he didn't want us to mess with that. And by the way, you know what? I don't, don't even touch it. Don't get close to it. Because I want you to see what she says here. Look what she said. And the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees we may eat. So she got that right. But from the fruit of the, the middle, God said, you should not eat or touch it lest you die. She got that right. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, he said, you shall not eat from it or touch it. Now, here's the thing. At, God never said that. God never said you can't touch it. And I call this the first introduction of religion in the Bible. It's, it's man adding something to God that God never said. That's pure religion. And by the way, if you fast forward to Colossians, the Bible warns against those who say, do not taste, do not touch, do not eat, which all has the appearance of man-made religion. Colossians chapter 2. Fascinating. Because religion suffocates and kills you. And so what happens is, is now the woman, now think about it from her perspective. Man, my husband has had this thing with God, and I wasn't in the picture, and they've got this cool thing going on, and there's some information being distributed, but I want to know all that. I'm a little frustrated that there's been something conveyed to me that I'm not aware of, but I want to be aware of this. And by the way, she apparently must have felt some sense of being of lesser value. Because notice the appeal here. But from the fruit of the tree, we shall not eat, touch it. Verse 4, and the serpent said to the woman, you shall not die. By the way, in temptation, two things the serpent gets people to believe is to doubt the word of God. No, that's, let me tell you what God said and distort it. The second thing he tries to get people to do is doubt the judgment of God. It doesn't matter how you live. God loves you. He's a big old grandfather in the sky. He's a Pillsbury Doughboy. Just, he absorbs all of you and he loves you just like, hey, no big deal. So go ahead and screw around. Nobody cares, especially God. But notice here, verse 5, and this is the appeal of the woman. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and You see that? In other words, hey, if I could if I paraphrase it, hey, lady, listen. You're not equal with your husband. And you're not equal with God. You're lesser. You're woman. You're not as important. That's the appeal. Is that not familiar today? 
And so what happens is the woman saw the tree was good and was delighted to the eyes. And she said, you know what? You're right. I deserve to be equal. Now, by the way, guys, she's completely equal in value. They're different in function. And see, the, the reversal of the temptation is going to reverse the function. Because now she's going to be the leader. Because all of a sudden she goes, I like that. In fact, I'm going to tell my husband what we need to do. And now he's stuck. And by the way, you know where he is when all this is going on? Look at, look at verse 6 here. When the woman saw the tree was good for food and it was delight to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one, she took from the fruit and gave her husband, who was what? Yes, he went out in the garden somewhere on his own, and she's had, <clears throat> he's right there sitting on the bench being a wiffle ball, doing nothing, watching his wife being accosted by a devil, and he says nothing. I tell you, there's so many men today that watch their families go down the tubes, and they, they never get off the bench. Remember one dad... Uh, I was reading a dad where they were in counseling and the counselor was questioning the father about parenting and the, and the dad blaming the wife said, listen, I don't want my wife to scream up because I was never there. <laughs> That's not a good dad, right? In other words, I'm passive. I'm not involved. And Adam's going, listen, it's, by the way, his response is, it's her fault. You see, it's the perfect temptation because now he has a choice. Do I obey? I like this woman. She's pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, I physically can embrace her. And you know what? I don't want her to not to like me. I don't want to be rejected from her. So who do I obey? And he makes the wrong choice. And so uh, notice verse 9 then. God holds Adam, not Eve, accountable for this transgression. And you go, dang, that doesn't seem right. And so what happens then in verse 8 and 9, And they heard the sound of the guard of God walking in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. You know, we, you know why we hide ourselves, guys? Because we're afraid. Uh, by the way, one of the ways that you can, if you're married, help your wife have confidence in you is don't be sneaky. Don't hide be forthright. Tell her the truth about you. And create a, a habit of being forthright. Uh, because the tendency is we want to hide. Because that's what sin causes you to do. Is to be subtly inconspicuous. And so they were hiding in the garden. Verse 9. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Notice, he didn't say, Eve, where are you? Called to the man. Adam, where the heck are you? Adam shows up and he said, I heard the sound of thee, God, and I was afraid because I know I blew it. And now I know I've got to give account to you and I don't know what you're going to do to me. By the way, they never knew what death meant, if you think about it. If you shall eat of this, you shall die. They didn't know what that meant. They've never died. <laughs> never saw anything die. So they weren't sure that God was going to fulfill and of course he did. They died 
And we all die today because of this. But in the context here, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten what I told you not to eat? Yeah. Verse 12. But you know what? It's the woman, old apple breath over here. It's her fault. Again, guys, I'm telling you, as much as I've worked with couples, I can't tell you how many times I'll sit down with a guy. What's going on? How's things in your marriage? My wife, she, and if she would, oh, yeah, right? Wow, we are inflicted with this. It's hard to look in the mirror and go, it's me, isn't it? And by the way, that's the way the, why the Bible says once a guy sees himself for who he really is before a holy God, he's at the brink of knowing God. It's hard for a guy to admit who he really is and take responsibility. And, but all I want you to see here, guys, it's Adam who's responsible. And what he did is he denied his leadership responsibility and in his passivity allowed a cataclysmic evil to permeate his marriage, his children, all of social order that has caused global destruction. <laughs> Every war created has been a result of that guy's choice. Every child hurt by other human beings has been a result of that guy's choice. How's that? See, where men go, so goes society. And so if you fast forward today in the cool of your air-conditioned home, God's entering in, guys, and he's going, Glenn Wilson, where are you? Bo Parrish, where are you? Bill Howard, where are you? See, we're still accountable to God in leadership. Point 10, Adam's response then to this is, has unacceptable passivity attached to it. You see, he doesn't want to respond truthfully. He responds factually. Yes, the woman did give him. Yes, I did eat. But he doesn't take responsibility for his action. You see that? And then point 11. Adam's judgment is based on the reversal order. Adam's judgment is based on the reversal of the created order. Look at verse 3, verse 17. Then Adam said... Uh, or then he said to Adam, God said, because you have listened, notice this guys, you've listened to the voice of your wife and ate from the tree I've told you not to. You're going to be cursed. See that? A lot of times we go, ah, oh, we're cursed because we disobeyed God. Well, the first place we, he disobeyed God was listening to his wife. Wow rather than God. That's a tough one, isn't it? See, guys, a lot of times the reason why men fall into the snare of following their wife is because they're not being led by Christ. You see, what makes your wife's submission to you in this created order reasonable, what makes her submission to you reasonable is your submission to Jesus Christ. You see that? When she sees you in love with Christ, when she sees you connected to Christ, when she sees you growing in Christ, 
the perfect man? She goes, you know what? I can follow that. Because he's in submission. You see that? But if not, then what if you're a tyrant? What if you're a goofball? What if you're doing something crazy that's putting their family in jeopardy? See, she's stuck now. She's a guy who's going, what do I do? See that? It's hard to be a woman. Sure, in that position. Okay, point 12. Adam's judgment falls not just on him, but on all those under his leadership. And what you find in Romans is that this sin, which became from one man, has infected all men. And all men sin because of one man. And if you read Genesis, or Romans 5, that the whole chapter 5 describes this infectious choice by the one man. Who because now that one man, all men have been infected because of that one choice. Powerful. And then lastly here, guys, after uh, they deal with God, notice Adam renames his wife. Again, as an additional sign of his leadership after the fall. So in other words, God's, God's not abandoning his original design. He's still keeping the order together. And it's signaling that um, this Eve statement is recognizing that he's still in charge. He's still accountable. Not necessarily in charge, but he's accountable to God. Okay? And I know it's a lot of stuff, guys. You're probably maybe swirling a little bit in your head. So all we want you to see here then is that in the created order, you in the masculine part of male-female who is created in the image of God, you have in your calling... Very distinct role patterns. Very distinct things that you are called to be and do in life. You got it? So let's break in our groups and then uh, we can dialogue over this. By the way, the next two weeks after this, we'll unpack a little bit more because what we're going to do is we're going to press two guys together in the Bible. Two historical figures. One's going to be Adam, and the other one's going to be the person of Jesus Christ. We're going to press these two guys together, because uh, as you do this, what's going to fall out is a very clear distinction of what two different guys look like, what two different legacies of these two men look like, two different spiritual destinies of what these two men have created. And the question ultimately is going to be is, which guy are you going to reflect most? You see, every human being is born from Adam physically. But the only way you can reflect the real man is you've got to be reborn spiritually. That's why Jesus said last week when we talked about this, if you're not born again, it ain't going to happen. And so that's the deal.